If you've got your Bible, go ahead and open to the book of Acts chapter 7. I know it's fall break, but we're still moving ahead in our study through, through Acts, because it'll take us all year to get through it. It's a long book, even taking a chapter a week. It'll take us a while, so we don't need to take many breaks. So that brings us to chapter 7 today. And with it, I think it's one of the richest chapters in the book, with the witness and the martyrdom of Stephen, the very first Christian martyr. We're going to read this whole chapter in a minute. I know it's a, it's a haul of a chapter, but we're going to read it. But when I was studying this and, and preparing for it, it just reminded me again of, of something. I'm, I'm a broken record, I know, when it comes to talking about this, but I just want to remind you guys again of how important memorizing Scripture can be for your sanctification and your growth in Christ, committing Scripture to memory. I know I'm a broken record, and, and just uh, humor me and don't tune me out on this. As it's, 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 I'm, I can't overstate it. The psalmist famously said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I, I might not sin against you. And I don't, know, I don't know of a, there might be other ways to do it. I don't know of a better way to do it than to memorize Scripture and to, and to hide it in your heart in that way, to have committed it to memory, to walk around with it all day long. And in that same psalm, uh, he says, the psalmist says of Scripture, it is my meditation all the day. It is my meditation all the day. And I doubt even in that day he was walking around with big fat scrolls to unroll at certain times of the day to meditate on Scripture. I, 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 I dare say that uh, he, he, was, he, he had it committed to memory. And in that way, he could walk around no matter what time of day, no matter what the circumstance, no matter the situation, be it, be it a task you had to do, that was hard and you needed the Lord's help or you're just sitting all alone and rather than scrolling on your phone, you have God's word to roll around in your mind. Same is true for us still today. And Jesus promised to sanctify us through his word. Now why am I? Well, let me just add one more layer to that because I not only memorize, I not only emphasize you memorizing scripture, but I often encourage you to memorize longer passages of scripture rather than just isolated verses here and there not that there's anything wrong with memorizing scripture in any in any way but there is particular benefit to memorizing longer passages of scripture say a, a, a whole a whole passage a whole chapter even a whole book now that might sound crazy to you that you would you would memorize a whole book of the bible but i promise you anybody can do it and it might take you six months it might take you nine months but can you just imagine how sweet a time that would be between you and the Lord to meditate on one book of the Bible every day for six to nine months? It's awesome. It's awesome. Why, why am I talking about all this? Because as I studied chapter 7 of, of Acts, I think this, if you've never memorized a longer passage of Scripture, this would be a great, great place to start. Acts chapter 7. Not only would you be committing a whole chapter of the New Testament to memory, but it's a New Testament chapter that would give you a Spirit-inspired overview of the Old Testament. That's what you have here in, in Acts chapter 7. And some of y'all should really take me up on that and let me know if you do. All right, commercial over. As we turn our attention to this passage this morning, we were introduced to Stephen back in chapter 6. He was one of those seven men chosen to help resolve this conflict between the Greek and the Hebrew widows. 
the Hebrew widows were saying they were being, excuse me, the Greek widows were saying they were being neglected in the daily distribution of the food in the church. So conflict, and they chose seven men to address this problem. Why, what was particular about these seven men? Well, they chose seven men, chapter 6, verse 3 told us, men that were of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. So Stephen was one of those seven. And the second half of the chapter, beginning in verse 8, zoomed in on Stephen in particular and how he was bearing witness to Christ full of the Spirit and of wisdom. And the chapter ended with Stephen being arrested, brought before the council, questioned, investigated about his faith in Christ, about his preaching the gospel. And that's where the chapter ended, which is where chapter 7 began. So if you found that chapter, let's read it. I know it's a long chapter, but... We're told in Scripture not to neglect the public reading of it, so that's what we're going to do, all right? Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, and the high priest said, are these things so? Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me, the glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you're now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge that the nation that they serve, said God, And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him. And God rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there was a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor and Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. He was brought up for three months in in his father's house and when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? 
But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in, the, in, the, in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man, God sent as both ruler and redeemer, by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in a bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a, a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they returned to Egypt saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to, the wor to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets, I'm quoting the prophet Amos chapter 5. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifice during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch the, and the star of your god Rephan, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua, and they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my, this is Isaiah 66, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me? says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did, you, did not your fathers persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels, and did not keep it. And when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him, then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. 
And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Let's pray. Father, this is your holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, and clear word. I don't have anything to say, Lord, beyond what it says. I pray that you would give me the the help that I do need to, to say what it says and to say it clearly and in a way that is helpful. And, and uh, I just ask you to speak to us through it. And give us, give us eyes to see the truth that is here. Give us all ears to hear the truth and minds to understand the truth and hearts to embrace and love the truth, wills to obey it. Uh, this is a work that only you can do. So change us and sanctify us through your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so there's a lot here. It took a while to read it all, but, um, but as we think through it, uh, we're going to think about the spirit-filled witness and martyrdom of Stephen, which is what we see here. And it's, it's a lot. It's a, it's a lot of uh, information. It's a long speech. So I think to, to try to sort of break it down as best we can to, to get what we might get out of it, I want to break it up into three parts. And first, just remember the setting. As we come into this thing, I think that'll help us synthesize what we see in this speech. It, it begins in verse 1, but we'll need to dip back into chapter 6 for context. Then next, we'll look at the speech itself, which runs from chapter, verse 2 to like, verse, well, verse 53, really. It's the majority of the chapter. Uh, and then finally, the sacrifice of Stephen at the very end the, of his martyrdom as the first Christian martyr it's such a rich chapter it'll take some careful thinking so uh let's uh let's let's think first about the setting and and how we get here so chapter seven begins in verse one with the high priest saying are these things so and if you were just parachuting into chapter seven you would have no idea what these things were that he's he's talking about what things are these things so what things and that's why we need to go back to chapter six remember the accusations that were leveled against stephen remember what what they accused him of. So back in chapter 6, verse 8, beginning in verse 8, Stephen was bearing witness to Christ. It was getting the attention of the Jewish leaders, and they argued with him, and, they, and it says in verse 10 that they, couldn't, they couldn't, stand, couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So they arrested him, brought him before the court, and just like, just like Jesus, they brought false witnesses to bear false testimony against him blatantly false and what were those accusations that they made they had said in chapter 6 verse 11 that we've heard him speaking blasphemous words against moses and against uh and against god but keep note of these accusations because they're gonna he's gonna he won't directly address them but he will indirectly address all of these accusations in his speech so here's one of them right he he blasphemes moses and he blasphemes god then in verse 13 of chapter 6 this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place. What is this holy place? The temple. He never ceases to speak words against this holy place and against the law. All right? So he didn't... Re you, this, Stephen, you don't revere this place, this, this temple where we worship. You don't revere this place where God supposedly dwells. And you don't obey His law. How specifically? It says in the very next verse, verse 14... For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. 
Jesus would put an end to the temple as the focal point of God's presence. And he would fulfill the law and bring it, bring it to an end. That, that, they actually had that part right. That's saying no more than Jesus himself had said. So those are the accusations that they brought against Stephen that you learned from chapter 6. Right? So he, he uh, yeah, he, he blasphemes Moses and God. He doesn't revere the temple. He disobeys the law. Those will all come into play in this speech. All right? But before we leave chapter 6, let's be reminded one more time of the, of the last words of chapter 6. They made accusation after accusation, and the last words in verse 15 say, And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And we mentioned this last week. Different explanations have been given as to what exactly is meant by this. I do think, like I said last week, that the most immediate meaning of this is that as false claim after false claim and slander upon slander were leveled at him, there was a, a supernatural calmness and serenity about his, uh, his, his receiving that. Right? He was full of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gave him a supernatural peace and calmness at receiving these. His face was like the face of an angel. I don't think that's all that it means, though. All right? Because I do think, also, like I said last week, I think there's a bit of irony going on. I think there's a bit of irony in that they had just told him that, they blaspheme, that he blasphemes Moses, that he disrespects Moses. All right? Well, I think this verse, when it says his face was like the face of an angel, is meant to echo something that actually happened to Moses. Namely, what? When Moses was, was up on the mountain receiving the very words of God, when he came down, we're told in Exodus 34, 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. I think at the end of Acts chapter 6, I think it's alluding to the fact that the, the word of the testimony that Stephen was about to deliver was the inspired word of, the, of God that God had given to him, and just, as, just like the word that God had given to Moses. And the, the, the further irony is going to be that they would no more listen to Stephen than they listened to Moses, whom they accused Stephen of dis, dishonoring and disrespecting. They were the ones guilty of the accusations that they leveled against Stephen. So let's think for a bit about the speech. All right, this is going to take some, it's going to take some, we need to roll up our sleeves for this. All right, so they ask him in verse 1, are these things so, these accusations? Do you disrespect God? Do you, blaspheme, do you disrespect Moses? Do you blaspheme God by disobeying his law? Do you not recognize the significance of this temple, of the place of God's presence? Are these things so? Stephen doesn't just say yes or no. He goes into a long speech. And he begins in verse 2, he addresses, begins to address them respectfully. Brothers and fathers, hear me. Respect before he begins, but then he begins. And in this long address, the longest one in the whole book of Acts, I think it moves through in, in four basic stages. Moving quickly through the, the history of Israel, not because they don't know it, but because he has a few points to make to them through it. He'll begin with Abraham. He'll make slight reference to Isaac and Jacob before moving on secondly to Joseph. He'll spend a bit of time on Joseph after Abraham. And, uh, and then he'll spend a great deal of time on Moses, not surprisingly. And then he'll draw some conclusions from it. All along the way, try to keep in mind the accusations that were leveled against him. 
His aim is going to be to show three basic things in all these examples. One, that they, his accusers and the Jewish leaders, they, like the generations before them, they were the ones rejecting God and his law. Two, they, like the generations before them, they're the ones that are rejecting leaders like they always had. They've rejected Jesus just like they rejected all the leaders who came before him. And three, you're the one who, have, who has fundamentally misunderstood uh, the place of God's presence among his people. All right? So let's, let's, let's see how he responds and actually builds his case against him. So he begins with Abraham in verse 2. And uh, in the, verses 2 through 8, the focus is going to be on Abraham. And the first point he, he makes about Abraham, the father of, of uh, their people, was God's free choice of him. God's free choice to be their covenant head. God freely chose him to be their father and to be the founder of their people. God chose him freely out of a, out of a pagan family and out of a pagan land. So that's, that's the first thing he points out about, about Abraham is God freely chose him. He was an unexpected. You wouldn't expect. Uh, you know, because think about, the, think about the, the flow of Genesis to that point. Chapter 1 and 2 are about the creation of the world. And chapters 1 through 11 are like cosmic in scope. Whole world. Flood comes on the whole world. People spreading out into the whole world. And you get to chapter 12 and it's like, and it's this one guy. This one little family, this obscure family in a pagan land, one guy who then dominates the whole rest of the book. Fifty chapters, right? It's, you wouldn't expect in the natural flow of Genesis for this seemingly random man to be the covenant head of a new people. But God chooses that man. The other point he makes about Abraham uh, is that when God chose him, and chose him to be the, the, uh, in relationship with, with Israel through him, he did this before Abraham was in the land and before there ever was a tabernacle or a temple to meet with him. He was there, all right? So two foundational truths. God's choice of, of, of those to lead his people is not always the person that many expect, and his presence among the people is not bound to the land and it's not bound to the temple. That's not how it began. Moves to Joseph in verse 9. And you know the story of how uh, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, but God favored him, and he rose in, 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 in rank to second in command in Egypt. And he was used to serve, uh, to preserve his own family and to preserve the people of, of Egypt during a severe famine in the land. But what is, why, why, did, why did Stephen so quickly fly by Isaac and Jacob and land and park it, park it for a little bit on Joseph. Why skip straight to Joseph? Well, his story does transition nicely to Moses. It, it, it locates the people in Egypt, which it transitions to Moses. It's important for him. But I think there's, a, there's two other big reasons. Why focus on Joseph? Well, twofold. One, God's free choice of Joseph is unexpected, Right? As the leader of the people, it's unexpected. How so? Joseph wasn't the oldest brother. When, he, when, when he's the one that is given the dream and say, you will bow down to me, that is what causes the jealousy among his brothers. He's not the oldest. You wouldn't think he would be the leader of the people, the chosen leader of the people, right? But God, that, though, you know, so the point is, even with Joseph, again, just like Abraham, those that God raises up to redeem his people are God's free choice. 
And it's, and it's, it's, it's often contrary to our expectations. Joseph illustrates that. But secondly, bringing up Joseph in this way for Stephen's purposes, he brings it up because this is the first time the people of God, Joseph's family, reject the one that God has raised up to be the leader. Right? They rejected the leader that God was raising up and they sold him into slavery. So Joseph, just like Abraham, was an unexpected one raised up to to be the leader of the people. And for the first time, the people reject that leader. Okay? So we come to this transition to Moses. And, and in his speech, he's already established that God chooses whom he chooses to lead his people, often contrary to our expectations. And the precedent has already been set that, that Israel rejects those whom God raises up to be uh, a leader. First hint of that with Joseph. But not only that, God was long present and at work among his people before the presence of a tabernacle or a temple. Just keep these things in mind, even if you aren't sure how he's building the case. But in verse 17, he turns to Moses, the most prominent figure in his speech. And he basically traces the life of Moses. From verses 17 to 22, he talks about Moses growing up in Egypt. In verses 23 to 29, he essentially uh, shows how Moses came to flee to Midian and his life in Midian. And then 30 through 34, his life in Sinai. It's a long section, but what are the things that Stephen seems to emphasize through the life of Moses? Well, don't be surprised. There are three, and it might sound familiar. One is God's unexpected and sovereign choice of Moses to lead the people. Moses, God's free choice. God raises up the leaders and the saviors of his people who are unexpected. Moses, of all people, who had grown up in the very house of Pharaoh, the very house of Pharaoh. The people had been, had been slave, in, in slaves in Egypt for 430 years. We talked about this Wednesday night. Do y'all, just, do y'all realize? I mean, if you were here on, on, at CBS on Wednesday nights, you remember this. But think about how long 430 years is. 430 years ago from right now, Shakespeare was writing plays. 430 years ago was still 43 years away from Galileo saying, hey, we revolve around the sun. That's 430 years ago. They were slaves for 430 years under the oppressive, mighty hand of Egypt. How unexpected is it that the Redeemer that God raises up comes from the very house of Pharaoh? It's unexpected. There's no way they might expect that. That's that's point number one with Moses. Unexpected leader that God raised up but number two you have again their rejection of him their rejection of him this is clearly Stephen's point he says in verse 25 that Moses supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand but they didn't understand verse 7 they say who made you a ruler and a judge over us and in verse 29 Moses rather than being welcomed as the as the the redeemer of the people, had to flee and become an exile in the land of Midian. So God unexpectedly chose Abraham and Joseph and now Moses. And where there was a hint of rejection with Joseph, it's now in full bloom with Moses. Even after he had returned from Midian 40 years later and did lead them out uh, out of slavery in Egypt, the people still constantly rejected his leadership. We wish we were back in Egypt. 
So God chose him, they rejected him. But the last emphasis that Stephen is laying on, on Moses in these verses is that Moses received, these are some of the most foundational and, and yeah, foundational events and revelation in Israel's very history. His point is, Moses received all of this outside the promised land, outside from the presence of a tabernacle or a temple. He, and Stephen mentions in verse 30 that God met Moses in a burning bush. And Moses trembled at his presence and didn't dare look and was told to remove the sandals from his feet because the place where he was standing was holy ground. Remember the accusation that was leveled against Stephen? He said, this, this guy never ceases to speak words against this holy place. This holy place, this physical structure. Well, in the story of Moses, where is the holy place? Wherever God appears. Wherever God is, is the holy place. Right? Take, take the sandals off your feet. It's a holy place. So Stephen's point in bringing this up is, yeah, God, God sovereignly used the temple for a period of time in history. But it is not the culmination of his work among his people. He, he was present among his people before it was here. He is working after it's gone. It served a temporary purpose. So, so, so far, Stephen has shown that from the days of Abraham and to the days of Moses, God was present with his people apart from the land, apart from the temple. He was raising up leader after leader after leader that the people continually rejected. And that's the theme of the remainder of his defense. The last leg of his speech is to focus on how, how unfaithful Israel had always been and how they continually rejected the leaders that God raised up for them. They continually rebelled against the law, which was rebelling against the Lord himself, which they were accusing Stephen of doing. He begins the last leg of his speech in verse 25. Excuse me, in verse 35. And Stephen begins that, that section hinting strongly that Israel's treatment of Moses himself is, in, is very important for his current circumstance. He points out in verse 36 that Moses, that the people rejected Moses despite the fact that he had performed signs and wonders uh, among them. And the very next verse, verse 37, says that it was this same Moses who prophesied that God's going to raise up another one to the people. No doubt insinuating that Jesus is the fulfillment of that one that Moses said would come. Already shown, by the way, in Acts 3.22. Already said that. Jesus, who also worked signs and wonders among the people, and they rejected him just as they had rejected Moses. So Stephen shows that how Israel was not simply rebellious against the leaders that God raised up, but they were rebellious against God himself through their unfaithfulness to the law, in verses 42 and 43, he quotes the prophet Amos. About, and he, Amos is talking about their wilderness uh, disobedience where they made a golden calf. But this is Amos, centuries later, talking about it. Why does he quote Amos? Amos' reference to that, I think, is to show that this idolatry didn't die with the generation in the wilderness. It continued all the way to the days of the latter prophets. And he says... He finished his argument talking about the tabernacle and the temple beginning in verse 44. He said the tabernacle was built according to the instruction that God gave through Moses. The first temple was built by Solomon. 
But even, even in the days of the Old Testament, the focus wasn't on these physical structures because he quotes Isaiah 66 to chastise them for focusing on the earthly temple as if that was the only place of God's dwelling. Stephen says that God is not bound to these earthly temples. That has been true since the day of the patriarchs and for his purpose is true most pointedly in Jesus Christ. He ends his defense by turning the tables on them which will ultimately lead to his death. But think finally with me about his sacrifice. What can we learn by his boldness and in his death? So beginning in verse 51, he turns the tables on him. And he says, it's not he who has rejected Moses, but they have. Right? They did from the beginning. And he asked them, which of the leaders and prophets did they not persecute? And it's not he, they say, he says, who has misunderstood the place of God's presence, they have. And it's not he who is in rebellion against God, they are. Every accusation they made of him is true of them, not him. That obviously didn't sit well with them. Verse 54 says that they were enraged. They were enraged at him. And they ground their teeth at him. But in this moment, we're told again in verse 55, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. I told you last week, we talked in depth about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And there, there, there is an expectation on us in the New Testament that we, we would walk daily in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's, again, relate that to memorizing Scripture. As that, those are the Spirit's words. And as we walk daily with the Spirit's words rolling around in our mind and our heart, we are walking in the fullness of, of the Holy Spirit. But there is a sense in the New Testament that when you, are, when you come upon a time and you come upon a task in which you desperately need God's help, there is an intensification of the Spirit's help in that moment to deal with that task, to give you ability that you otherwise wouldn't normally have. And that's, I think, what we see in, in Stephen. Otherwise, what does it mean when we were already told in chapter 6 twice that he was full of the Holy Spirit, but now, at the moment of his death, we're told again, he was full of the Holy Spirit. Because the, the Spirit not only helped him bear testimony to Christ, the Spirit's help intensified to help him die for the glory of God. All right? Didn't sit well with him. He's full of the Holy Spirit, though. And, and, and I think what, we, what we've seen here is the Spirit has helped him bear witness to Christ, and in his death, he's going to help him to bear witness like Christ. It says in verse 55 that he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus Christ standing. And he told them what he was seeing. He said, this is what I see. <laughs> he was bearing witness to Christ. I don't think it's insignificant, by the way, that he specifically says to those rulers, I see the glory of God in the face of Christ. They had accused him of disrespecting the temple, the second temple. He, he, he never ceases to speak against this place, this holy place. They had accused him of disrespecting this place. I think it's, it's noteworthy when they said that, they were talking about the second temple in Israel's history, right? First, it was the tabernacle. We've already talked about this. First, it was the tabernacle. Then Solomon built the first tabernacle. tabernacle. The, the Babylonians destroyed that. They rebuilt the second temple, right? 
read the Old Testament carefully. In Exodus, we're told that there, was, there were periodic times where the glory of God rested upon the tabernacle so that they could not even go in. Later, when Solomon built the first temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, we're told in the same way that the glory of God rested on that first temple so that the priests could not even go in and do their work. They re rebuild a second temple. We're never told anything like that about the second temple. We're never told that the glory of God rested on that second temple. Why? Because the glory of God was coming in the person of Jesus Christ. It was anticipating that, that the glory of God will no longer rest in a physical temple. It's coming in a person. And when, when Stephen stands there to die, when he looks up, he doesn't just say, I see Jesus. He said, I see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. When they heard Stephen say this, it says they shouted him down and stopped their ears from listening. It sounds like every day here, right? It sounds like social media, and it sounds like Congress. They stopped their ears, and they shouted them down. But he says that there's, there are re there's a reason that they did in that day. There's a reason that these Jewish leaders did that. He had said back in chapter, in verse 51, in the second half of verse 51, what, what was the second phrase? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. Uncircumcised in heart and ears. What does that mean? It means they were spiritually dead. Right? Because even, even in the Old Testament, the physical circumcision was a picture of heart circumcision by the, by the Holy Spirit. They were spiritually dead, and he, he's not surprised. Apart from the Spirit, we can't hear, and we can't believe, nor do we want to. So they rushed to kill Stephen. Apparently, ironically again, they rushed to kill Stephen, apparently by mob violence, which ironically is against the law of Moses, and they stoned him to death. But notice the similarities to Christ in the way that Stephen dies. Like Christ, he is cast out of the city to die. Like Christ, Stephen called out, receive my spirit. Except this time he's calling to Jesus himself. And like Christ, Stephen prayed, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. I think the Holy Spirit enabled Stephen on that day not only to bear witness faithfully to Christ, but also to bear witness to the point of death like Christ. The same spirit who's who filled Stephen, by the way, is the same spirit who, who fills us to bear witness to Christ like he did. We'll see in, in the weeks to come that God caused the church to spread through the martyrdom of Stephen. Far from stamping out the, the church, it grew. And even the ones standing there, right, holding the, the, the coats of those who stoned Stephen, Saul, giving his approval, even he didn't know it at that time, would later be perhaps the greatest missionary the church has ever known. Let's pray.